Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to Talking Fanfic. Thanks for tuning in. Um, this is a <laughs> this is a really fun episode. So we've got uh, Andrea Anderson, who goes by the pen name Provocative Envy on the show. Um, I've got an interview, and we talk so much that I have split it actually into two episodes. So you're listening to part one right now. Part two will go up um, later this week. I'm kind of still in the editing process there, but should be done uh, any minute now. Um, yeah, you're going to love this one. Andrea, man, she is one of those authors that I definitely wanted on the show as soon as I started this podcast. So she writes Harry Potter fan fiction, but it's it's sort of... Um, uh, it it doesn't cover it to call it Harry Potter fan fiction. It's mostly AU, like not even in the magical world. Her specialty is to take characters that you probably never even thought about and have them interact together in a situation that you would not have anticipated. So you might get Pursley Weasley and Draco Malfoy um, playing hockey, or you might get... Um, Blaze Zabini and Luna Lovegood um, as rival farmers market people, <laughs> but you get all these crazy pairings, and it's uh, it's a ton of fun. I, I think I, the first one I ever read was about, and I mentioned this in the episode, was about um, Harry Potter accidentally going on a date with Pansy Parkinson. He is a hockey player. She is unknowingly to Harry, she's an escort and also an aspiring pastry chef. So that gives you an idea of Provocative Envy's fan fiction. But uh, Andrea is very open between her professional writing and her fan fiction writing. And she's one of the few authors to do so. Um, and that's really just a gift for all of us because we she's a great representative of what fan fiction can do when uh, when it's at its best. She's a good example for us. She's a good... Um, representative of our passion and she's inspiring to me because she's a phenomenal writer i loved especially in this episode we really dig into the nitty-gritty of stuff like process and structure and planning and outlining and, and just how she does it and to me as an aspiring i mean we're all aspiring writers but it was really it was just really nice to talk shop with somebody that I really respect and aspire to um, her level of writing. So um, enjoy that. The only other thing I want to say is that you have to follow her on Tumblr. If you have a Tumblr, find provocative underscore envy. She runs this thing that we talk about called Summer Slam. She's also done an, you know another version called Spring Fling with a few other authors. But this one is all her, and it's like a, it's like a NCAA tournament style rare pair tournament, and the public gets to vote. Um, so it's called Rare Pair SummerSlam 2021. Like a virgin um, is the subtitle there, and there's like six heats. Voting starts on May 29th, Memorial Day weekend. Um, so yeah, like I said, you can have. Um, some weird thing like Charlie Weasley and Narcissa Malfoy going head to head with uh, Seamus Finnegan and Draco Malfoy. And um, you just like, you want to know what happens there. 
It's like nobody else's will ever do that pairing ever. So it's great. Uh, as an example, um, like uh, I asked Andrea about one particular pairing that's on the list on the master post that you can find in my show notes. It's um, Dudley and Draco. And I was like, what the fuck? What, what would that even look like? And here's her brief description of a thick concept. She says, Draco is the petty, vindictive, comically overfunded filmmaker planning his investigative, mostly slanderous, slash salacious, slash completely fabricated Netflix docuseries about the real Harry James Potter, not quite the boy next door. And he tracks down Dudley thinking that because of Harry's terrible childhood, Dudley will be like a goldmine of gossip and rumors and mean-spirited jokes at Harry's expense. But Dudley is like... A farmer in Nebraska now? He goes to church? He loves baked potatoes? He can bench press like a whole wheelbarrow full of watermelons if he ever felt like it? <laughs> he is also a licensed John Deere tractor salesman with a conscience and a beat-up composition book full of affirmations. And he has so many, this is all capital letters, so many nice things to say about Harry, like he's really been working hard to atone for all the bullying and toxic masculinity. And did you want some lemonade, Mr. Malvoy? I won't add sugar if you're one of those Splenda folks from the city. Draco, quote, this has not gone according to plan, but perhaps that's fine, end quote, Malfoy. So, I mean, can you imagine a fic where Draco is a salacious, vindictive filmmaker doing a docuseries on his enemy, Harry Potter, and then he goes to talk to Dudley Dursley, the reformed Nebraska potato farmer? I mean, dude, are you kidding me? So that's, that is why you fucking participate in SummerSlam, because you get to vote every day starting May 29th. So please participate. It's going to be so much fun. Um, she always welcomes what she calls propaganda, which is people making like fan art and just uh, and arguments as to why people should vote for the pairing that they're really excited about. Um, and if your pairing wins, there's like a tier of prizes, but the grand prize is a 10,000 word fic. So we could have a 10,000 word fic about Farmer Dudley. I mean, that's really what I'm hoping for. So... Without further ado, I will stop talking. This is maybe one of my favorites uh, interviews I've ever done. It's just fun. So part one, enjoy. Um, stay tuned for part two. Thanks, guys. Now I hear you. <laughs> I had my headphones plugged into the wrong thing. Yeah, I'm sure that's probably what's wrong with the camera too. Like Something. my husband has this giant setup for work from home, like Zoom calls, and I'm sitting here like. <laughs> You're like on the the bridge of the Enterprise. I literally feel like I'm in a spaceship. <laughs> Um, Zoom especially, there's always something that goes wrong. I find Skype is pretty reliable, but Zoom is like, I think everyone started using it during the pandemic. Oh yeah, and it just blew up. And... I just made a gesture because I feel like I'm talking into a video. <laughs> That's all right. I can imagine. It, it is weird now because I've got my Skype on my main screen. I'll probably 
minimize it, but I'm just looking at myself. A giant picture okay. of myself. And it's like taunting me. It's like, your video is on. Like, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure? Here, have a weird icon to look at instead. Oh my gosh. Well, thanks yeah. for doing this, by the way. Oh yeah, no, this this seems like it's gonna be fun. I and, think so. Yeah, and people people don't talk about you know, like the intersection between fan fiction and real fiction and they don't talk about it enough. So I think it's going to be interesting. Yeah, I think so too. Just, just, um, people don't talk about fan fiction that much, but they're starting to now, but you're right. That's a specific thing that like, it's sort of this weird thing where like, if you go pro quote unquote, (laughs) um, you usually just never hear from those authors again. And you're like, did they die? Or are they writing professionally? It's one or the other. They're usually posting anonymously. Yeah. Yeah, I think that happens and more like than we think. it's like a dirty little secret. Like, you're not supposed to talk about it if you know it's them. Mm-hmm. Well, we can... Oh, I'm sorry. Again, there's so much to talk about. Um, let me just say that this is uh, Andrea Anderson, um, a.k.a. Provocative Envy, and... Um, I don't need to do probably a full introduction. I'll let you talk about yourself. But um, so I found you, I'm trying to remember, I was trying to think about this earlier. I first uh, started reading your writing, probably as many do, on uh, AO3. And I was into Harry Potter at the time. I was like real hard into the dreary stuff. Dreary? I've written like one. I know, the hockey AU, right? One of them. Yeah, it's so funny. So I think because I was like, Usually in Drury, you find that Pansy is kind of a right. supporting best mm-hmm. friend to Draco. And I think somehow I was um, stumbled upon somebody's like Harry Pansy. And then I was looking into that. And I found the story you did where she is um, she- is she a prostitute or an <laughs> escort. One of the two. She's an escort. <laughs> and an aspiring pastry yeah. chef. Sometimes when you say this stuff out loud, it's... <laughs> We're going to be doing a lot of, I think, saying stuff out loud and giggling about it. Yeah. Um, you're one of the funnest writers. Like I have, um, I don't know, everybody's different and it's it's hard to like rank people sometimes on a scale from your like group of favorite authors because everyone's style is different. But you always make me laugh. Your voice is very sort of vivid and voice he- – like the prose is kind of voice heavy um, and it just uh, – it always sucks me in and jumps off the page and I just like – I remember thinking that that Pansy Harry one where I was like, she's an escort and she's an aspiring pastry chef. And it's like only 9,000 words. <laughs> yeah. And um, it's just so unique. Like, who thinks of that? And I remember then going to your author page and like this whole little weird treasure trove of these characters that no one else writes about, first of all. And most of them are AU and um, either the players are on a hockey team or they're like at summer camp or just like <laughs> random crazy stuff. So that's how I found your writing. Um, but let me stop talking mm-hmm. for a second. If you could tell us a little about yourself and how maybe as a kid or your relationship with writing and reading, yeah. just in general, like how that um, started. So I started reading a lot as a kid because I wasn't really allowed to watch TV. My mom had re- had weird rules about it. So I just read a lot. <laughs> and um What's funny is I, like, didn't particularly enjoy writing or think of it as a thing I ever wanted to do until I was probably 
uh, I don't know, like eighth or ninth grade. And it was specifically because I got to write a piece of fiction for an English class. And I'd never, a thing I think people don't realize is that writing fiction is so much different than writing academically. And people who don't like writing academically, they've maybe never tried writing fiction. And it's, there's so much more freedom to it. You can literally do whatever you want. And that was very appealing to me. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, then I, I got kind of pretentious as a youth. <laughs> as, as we do as writers. I read a lot of Sylvia Plath. <laughs> Didn't get the subtext. <laughs> Were you wearing a lot of black or smoking? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just really really into that and I think there's like some old stuff I probably have online somewhere that is objectively bad but is definitely from that era you know I was a teenager but for fiction specifically you know it takes a while to find your niche find your voice find the themes that you know you gravitate to and are interested in which is a lot of what early writing is about or was about for me. Like <laughs> if you told me at 16, I was going to write tons of Harry Potter fan fiction where they're hockey players. <laughs> I would have been like, what? <laughs> like, no, that's not real. Uh, and you know, it, it's, it's sort of that creative freedom, you know, it's a lot easier to explore in fan fiction than I think people give it credit for. You know, like so many people are canon purists and they focus on what's canon and what's not. And when I, re I realized at some point that like it didn't matter. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it was, it was that same revelation from, you know, age 14 or however I was where I was like, oh, wait, so in fiction I can just make it all up. <laughs> like I can just yeah. – <laughs> do what I want. How did, how did you get into fan fiction? Do you remember like when you discovered it? Um, so, Dramione. Yeah. <laughs> Does everyone go through that? <laughs> I think so. For me, it was like before I was in the Slash, oh. I was all about Dramione and then I somehow discovered Drary and I was like, oh, this is interesting. But it's kind of that same appeal of like, just um, what am I trying to say? Like two personalities mm -hmm. that are uh, kind of ag aggressive, and um, uh -huh. oh, I'm missing a word here. But it's a really fun there's, dynamic. There's friction, yeah. The, uh, for me, it was Hermione was never really like a stand. I didn't identify her with with her too much, so she wasn't really like a stand-in. Which I liked Hermione because it felt sort of forbidden, especially in like a canon context, you know, and. You know, as I get older, I obviously picked up on the <laughs> the white supremacy metaphors and <laughs> all of those things, and it's a little it's a little less appealing to me now. But you know, when I was thirteen, fourteen, maybe ff dot net, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> I couldn't quite find like the exact vibe that I wanted from Hermione, so I started writing it myself. Which, you know, obviously that was a long time ago. So I was like, yeah, that was a long time ago. So obviously there's more fan fiction everywhere. And it's a lot easier to find. But 
this was like the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, so the books were probably being published. Well, yeah, I think they're still being published at that point, probably. Yeah, the seventh book came out on my 18th birthday. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, that was. Yeah, so you're about my age because I feel like I kind of grew up as the books. I mean, my age wasn't always exactly, but was, I was about. They were such a big deal. It, I think like slightly slightly younger generation it's a little harder for them to grasp how big of a deal harry potter was for like a certain age range a certain generation um like we went to like the movie premieres as a class when i was in sixth or seventh grade or something like that like it was like a thing so I wouldn't say that I gravitated towards Harry Potter fan fiction because I loved Harry Potter so much. It was mostly just, you know, these are characters I'm very familiar with, you know, like they're really present in the media I consume. And I think I probably would have drifted away from it altogether if I hadn't realized, oh, hey, wait, there's like 200 other characters, you know, like there's just no way I would have kept writing. (laughs) Yeah. Hermione. (laughs) And Drake go together for (laughs) decades. Oh, that, I mean, that is a thing about uh, that fandom is that there are so many characters. Mm -hmm. And to me, and we can like bridge our way over into talking about your original stuff, but to me, it almost feels like the way that um, you flesh out those minor characters, it's almost like practice probably creating your own characters because there's so little. And we'll talk about, um, I don't want to talk about, a ton of your fan, just because there's so yeah. much, and we could talk tons <laughs> about light, like lettuce feather and stuff. But, but over under is one I dug into because it was one of my favorites. And then as I asked you on Tumblr, <laughs> it's one of your favorites. Yeah, we'll get there in a second. But um, you know, a character like Scabier, it's like you you barely get anything. And so yeah, I don't know, just the general um, idea that your minor characters are like original <laughs> characters almost. Yeah. The bridge between writing other people's characters with really clearly established, like, canon personalities and canon backstories, it can get sort of creatively confining. And switching over to these characters like Scabior, who have, (laughs) like, what, he shows up for, like, ten minutes. (laughs) I, I think I said this on Tumblr once, like, my only real, like, concrete canon memory of him is he was kind of subservient towards the Malfoys specifically and he just sort of seemed kind of sketchy kind of dirty yeah that's actually I was gonna um <laughs> I was gonna point out in, in over under so this is a this is a Draco I mean we, we can talk about this a little bit specifically um it's Dra- Draco and Scavior um which people might be like oh what oh, like man. why would you do that I'll I'll just let you talk about like how this came to be, and actually, we need to talk about Spring Fling, yeah. all that stuff. But specifically, just because we were on it, um, I was one. I was trying hard. I was like, let me try and see if I can see any of the canon Scabier as little as we get him. <laughs> and I don't remember as much from the books, but at least from the movie, he is kind of dirty, <laughs> like kind a little of, trashy, like, like a little greasy, like a little like you know, he's spent some time <laughs> on the wrong side of the track <laughs> not wearing a shirt in this case yeah, close to a teenage summer camp uh and then the nick the nickname thing we'll talk about that mm-hmm. the nickname seemed to me like something because he called i think he calls hermione like pop it no that's parts of the character <laughs> 
similar vibe. But there's some like yeah, there's like some weird creepy endearments, which mm-hmm. I made a list of the nicknames that he calls Draco in this, but um yeah, not to skip around too much, but yeah, tell me a little bit about Let's say let's start with Spring Fling and that group of writers that you mm-hmm. do this. You seem to do it like at least once a year, maybe twice a year. Yeah. How that started, how that's going, and then we can talk about over under. Yeah. So I, every once in a while, I do a rare pair tournament on my blog. Uh, I'm actually doing another one next month. It's been like a while since I did one, so that starts in May, like late. Labor Day, Memorial Day. Which one is it? <laughs> oh shit! I think Memorial, but I'm not. Yeah, sure. like I, uh, I think it's Memorial yeah. Day. That sounds right. <laughs> that sounds right. <laughs> um, but so M, who's Granger Danger, she reached out to me when I was doing Summer Slam 2019, maybe. Anyway, she thought it was like a cool idea, and she reached out to me and you know, floated this idea of a few of us doing kind of a, like a, like a broader, loosely connected series of fics that were, that all took place at the same, in the same AU. And then that kind of, you know, floated around for a bit. And then the pandemic (laughs) happened (laughs) and we were all like, so we're at home. <laughs> Let's, there's not a lot to do. And it was such a spring fling last year was such a great distraction. I feel like it was a yeah. really, it was a really fun, distracting way to spend like six weeks or so. And the Draco Scabior. So we were all in a group chat and we were just, we were all just kind of throwing characters out there, and I, I don't remember how it went exactly, but I kind of didn't want to write, like, two camp counselors. I wanted to write, like, an outsider, and Scabior, <laughs> I just have a soft spot for him. <laughs> like, he just seems yeah. like he had so, like, obviously we only see him for a minute in canon, but he just, like, like I said the like glaring memory of him for me from the book specifically is he was so subservient to these, you know, aristocratic people basically. And it it just, it really, like, I just felt bad for him. It seemed like he was the kind of character who like everything was maybe stacked against him. And he just like leaned into that. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the life of a lackey. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, (laughs) <laughs> he was like, okay, well, you know, digging out of this hole seems a little difficult. Let's just let's just lean back. Let's take a nap. And that persona is just very interesting to me. It's so passive in a way. Yes. And that's that's such a that's such an aspect of fictional characters that I think gets I mean it gets shit on a lot. Like you know, you want your protagonist to be a go-getter. Like they need to, they need to be relatable in that way. Like they need to be ambitious. Like all these other things. And it was sort of like I think it's also implied in canon. Maybe in the last book, he was a Slytherin. 
Like he knew the dungeons or something. Yeah. So I was like, okay, so what about this totally ambitionless Slytherin? <laughs> like, how does that happen? <laughs> yeah, that, that's a good point. They're like, supposed to be ambitious, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, it was just this, this character was just so, like, it felt like there was potential there to make him something else. And Draco, I think Draco was just sort of like the, the last one left. Like we were like, we want to include Draco. And I was like, yeah, that could work. <laughs> were you guys, I forget, because sometimes in Spring Fling or Summer Slam, it seems like um, you have kind of a list of pairings that people can vote for, and there's like settings or sort of like little oh. nuggets of plot. So how did this come about? So we we decided on like a summer camp setting, like an 80s summer camp setting. We decided that on our own. <laughs> Solid. Which literally, I think it was because... Scully, Scully Murphy, she, <laughs> she was like listening, she, w- she was talking about music from that time period and like she wanted to include something. Anyway, it was, it was literally, I think it came down to music. We were like, yeah, there were some bangers in that specifically <laughs> summer 1988. <laughs> I was not born yet, but <laughs> so we, we chose summer camp and then I think we we picked the pairings for our main fix, like the longer ones. We picked those on our own, but the the short like companion fix we let people vote for. And when I do my rare pair tournaments, I usually start with tons of of rare pairs like on their own, and then they move on to a like a and people just vote for them, and it's like the top two or top four or whatever. I love it. Is this like cool fanfic alternatives or like March Madness? Yeah. Like while my dad's filling out his like Villanova versus Gonzaga, right. I'm like, ooh, Pansy Charlie? Or do I want, um, I don't know, Lavender and um, – Oh, jeez. Yeah, the first one I did was a March Madness alternative. It was like yeah. – It's so fun. It is fun. So this upcoming one, I'm going to be like doing – I'm gonna be I'm gonna be deciding on that's my dog. What's he working at? Oh, uh, what's your dog's name? Biscuit. Biscuit <laughs> I love that. He's, he's a corgi. <laughs> hey. You're very small. My my cat at some point may come in. We we bought her a um a custom cat door that fits into a window no. so that she can get out into it. It's she's a fucking fat, privileged, hilarious cat. So anyway, we may see her. Her name is Daniel Pickles, and there's like a story, but anyway. I love fat cats that can't fit in things. <laughs> she has to squeeze, yeah. suck it in a little bit. We have a so we one of our cats is like really she's a savannah. We got her a really long time ago. She's like eleven now, but she's a savannah, and those are supposed to be like really sleek, <laughs> like <laughs> like predatory, <laughs> like ornamental cats. <laughs> she's. <laughs> She's just not. <laughs> she's she's really rotund, and that's a little like being a um an unambitious Slytherin yes, sort of. Exactly. <laughs> she is the scabior of cats. <laughs> but we have a uh, we have this like cat tree by these windows in our living room, and 
<laughs> she tries to jump up. <laughs> she's she's big. She's really big. She's really long. So she could like so she stretches up and then she'll try to jump up and she'll she'll sometimes make it, but sometimes she won't. She will not make it, and she <laughs> she just looks at you like she's embarrassed. <laughs> like, like yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I love indoor cats that are like their their uh, killer instincts are really stunted. <laughs> oh my gosh! So oh, okay, so summer uh, so, or yeah, spring? Wait, yeah. Oh yeah, no, this one I'm gonna be. It's gonna be bigger and better than ever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so instead of sixteen, we're gonna do thirty-two. Damn. Yeah, and so what I usually do is I'll I'll come up with like a like a thick concept summary for each individual rare pair. And I won't be doing that till the round of 16, but I will be thinking of specific settings and uh, AUs for the top 32, which is like my favorite part. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like you've exercised your brain in this way and that, I mean, honestly, for people who don't know Productive Envy, you have to follow her on Tumblr. Just like the asks that you get and then also just like the random stuff that you post is always these like crazy speculative, especially around this time, Spring Fling or Summer Slam. Like it's hilarious. It's like shit you would never think of and it's – yeah. AUs with with fanfic are just so – creatively fulfilling because it's yeah. it's like comfort food you know that's what like fan fiction is for a lot of people it's these characters you're so familiar with and you know so well and you're getting to do that and you're also getting to you know come up with these outlandish scenarios yeah and it's like it's just it's like the best of both worlds you know yeah i feel like i was what was i talking about before before the um, cat i think we were <laughs> I know, I know. Biscuit really threw a wrench into things. Um, I think we were we, we were talking about Scabier a little bit, and then ah, this yeah, year's yeah. SummerSlam, and then um, yeah, I think just coming back to how Over Under kind of came to be. You mentioned the nickname thing, and I do actually have a reason for that. <laughs> it's, awesome. So Scabier calls people pretty much anything but their actual name and every time I write him it's like a it's a thing and it took me a while to figure out I was doing that and then I I thought about it for a a while and it was it's like this instinctual way to sort of put distance you know oh yeah it's like this oh this person isn't real I don't need to connect with them in any meaningful way it's just like I said, the slacker persona is just so interesting to me. <laughs> I mean, a lot of it probably, you know, comes back to it's like a self-esteem thing, I think, at its core. Oh, yeah. It's also interesting as as a thing that doesn't necessarily need to be fixed, you know, like maybe he's happy like that. I don't know. But that's what I love about this fic. Um, I'll just and not to ruin it, but I'll say I think it's safe to say. Within the first two or three paragraphs of this story, you learn a, a ton about Scabier. Um, and let me just, if that's okay with yeah. you, I'll just read like the first few sentences and then I'll tell you what my line notes were. Mm-hmm. Um, this It's a three chapter story. It's about what, 15,000, 16,000 words, 16K. Um, but uh, chapter one, um, I'll just read here. It starts with a knock. Polite, 
Firm, rhythmic, a confident little rap, rap, rap of the knuckles. One, two, three. Three, two, one. Not loud enough to be a cop, but annoying enough to be anyone Scabier is personally acquainted with. Uh, and I'll stop right there because that, what is that, two sentences? Um, and so you learn immediately, uh, if you just stop for a second and stare at that, you learn that, um, so, so Scabier is like listening to this knock. He is familiar enough with how cops knock to then yeah. <laughs> eliminate that possibility. So this guy is either a criminal or a black sheep or familiar yeah. with that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the second thing he says is the knock is not annoying enough to be anyone Scabier is personally acquainted with. So this tells you that this character is like has sort of a dubious or weird relationship with like friendship in general. Yeah, no, like why exactly. are you annoyed – with your friends. Yeah, like his best friend appears in the fic and he just gets kind of kind of talked about in such a way that you you're like, okay, wait, you love this person, but you also <laughs> Yeah, this is this is Dalla Hoffa is yeah. what talking about. Yeah, yeah. Who owns a bar, like and it's hilarious like to me the first thing I thought of for some reason was there's a there's an old John Wayne movie called Donovan's Reef mm-hmm. and there's like a islandy a sort of um, uh-huh. hole in the wall bar called Gilhoolies. I don't know why. But anyway, <laughs> it's this kind of shitty bar that a uh, skater just hangs out in. Yeah. <laughs> um but anyway, the the second paragraph um uh, so he's like talking about, um, he just kind of goes on for a second about this type of Amish cheese <laughs> <laughs> and the contents of his fridge and there's like artisanal carrots. Uh, and then he's talking about, you describe him, um, trudging across the mildewed linoleum floor in the kitchen to the spider cracked tile floor in the hallway. Um, so I wrote, this might amuse you, um, I just wrote foodie, but trashy. <laughs> That so like exactly that's, that's like and you have all of that packed in there and so i don't know if you had a clear that clear crystal clear of a view of him off the bat or that that's the result of editing but i, I thought that's so great because you get so much from those little paragraphs so scabior is uh that fic particularly was a really interesting writing experience because i am uh i'm an I'm an editor. I edit as I go. Usually that fic, I, I don't think I've ever said this before about something. It like pretty much wrote itself. Um, it was really a fast kind of organic experience. So I think that over under was unusual in that it, the story itself wasn't necessarily like super clear to me on the onset, but the character was and Draco (laughs) I write I write him in kind of a way that I don't think is appealing to a lot of people but again as an adult whenever I think about Draco Malfoy I'm just like oh man he's whiny (laughs) oh so that's awesome and I don't know if it's all you're writing or I think other authors also write him that way but definitely just whiny yeah yeah in the Dramione fandom specifically there's this weird undercurrent of like making him like hyper masculine and like oh no giving him all these traits (laughs) that are pretty common in you know romantic male leads and I get why it happens but I just I mean he was whiny (laughs) such a little bitch yeah he was (laughs) so petulant he was 
<laughs> anyway, so this this con this idea of this character who's expects everything to go his way all the time and expects everyone to cater to him and isn't used to hearing no or isn't used to misfortune or bad luck or anything like that. Like that character with this character who is resigned to <laughs> just yeah. all of that. <laughs> like he's, he's, you know, he's past the point of even arguing about it. It's just like, yeah, of course, you know, the shittiest possible thing is going to happen. <laughs> that is just how it works anyway i really enjoyed that dynamic more than i thought i would yeah so spent like a month last year trying to make drapior a thing (laughs) like (laughs) like, a couple of my friends like wrote fix for it i was like no this is this is going to be a thing i didn't really catch on (laughs) stop trying to make Xavier happen I think I think a lot of people are just like looking at those two characters like I'm not even gonna open it which Which, is a shame which I get I get I get that impulse like it's it's weird but it really worked and Mm -hmm. um you know shout out to over under everybody needs to make that a thing (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and I I think it's a credit to you too that um I wouldn't have I mean maybe it's not I don't know what your kudos counts are like um oh it doesn't list on here but I I I think I was looking at the sort of the kudos comma thing and it's and it was more than I would have expected for a pairing like that and I think it's a lot of people mm-hmm. who know you will just yeah. read like me they'll read whatever you write because they're yeah. fans I did that fic did do better than I thought it would like. In the Spring Fling group chat, we were all joking because we all, for the, with the exception of the Hermione Charlie one, we all pretty much wrote kind of like odd, <laughs> like yeah. not necessarily particularly popular pairings. And we were all joking like 22 kudos incoming. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, Over Under did better than I think I anticipated personally, but. Yeah, pretty much like 80% of the comments start with, I wasn't even going to read this. (laughs) 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 But but I'm happy I did. And, you know, I do actually want to talk about that. Like when you, I'm kind of, I'm pretty established as as a writer in in fandom. So I think I do have more leeway when it comes to things like that. Like I can be more you know, experimental with pairings. Like there's a, there's a privilege to that. I probably, cause it could be with rare pairs. It can be discouraging. I imagine to go from, you know, your decently well-received like Drary or Dramione to like 10 people read this. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so that is, that is a factor probably, but that is also why I, I keep writing different rare pairs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, um, yeah, you could consider it a privilege. And it's it's all, I think, in big fandoms and in growing fandoms, a lot of it is timing. Like, who's actually going to see your mm-hmm. fic? Like, I wrote I, I wrote a, a fic that did well in Cobra Kai. And it was interesting because I wrote it sort of a couple of months, well, just a few months before 
the show went from a, a weird little YouTube web series to yeah. going to Netflix. Uh-huh. And so the fact that I wrote it when it was small and then it, it did well and sort of filtered to the top as far as kudos wise. And then you get this huge influx of people coming in and you're kind of queued up to do yeah. well as far as visibility. Yeah. So that's and the, and Harry Potter is even more complicated because it's been so huge for so long. But what I will say, give yourself some credit because I think uh I mean I tr- I don't have a big platform here, mm-hmm. but I've definitely told my friends who are into fan fiction like you got to read Provocative Envy. Mm-hmm. And I think so I think some of it's word of mouth, some of it's you read maybe one of your Germanies mm-hmm. and like this is unique mm-hmm. and you've been writing for so long that you have a really unique voice. So yeah. um, you've worked for that, you know, <laughs> give yourself some credit oh, there. Oh yeah, no. If if you just go like even on my AO3 account like the stuff in the beginning from like 2013 or 2014 or whenever it was it's i mean there's just like a notable difference um and that is something i really i never know how to articulate it like when people ask on tumblr or whatever but you know the growth from just writing all the time is tangible when you when you look back on it like that yeah do you kind of know in the thick of it, like, this is this is good, or this is better than, like, I feel like I'm in that, I'm starting mm-hmm. to, I, I can look back now at some stuff. Yeah, that's absolutely, yeah. like, that's a that's a learned skill in my experience. Um, when I first started writing, when I was younger, but even after that, there was, I didn't write often enough to really, I think, see what yeah. was good and what was bad and what was working and what isn't working, but as you, you know, you gain experience, it's, it really becomes obvious, you know, and sometimes, you know, it's kill your darlings, like you have this idea, or you have this piece of a story, and it just, you can't make it work around it. And I, I've posted some stuff that, like, I don't post things anymore that I don't like. So I have written quite a few things that, you know, I don't like them. They don't, they don't get posted, but that on its own is something I probably wouldn't have done five years ago even because yeah. I would have been like, huh, something about this isn't right, but I still would have shrugged kind of like, yeah, <laughs> oh, well, can't figure it out. <laughs> you start to get taste, I think. Yeah, and you start to be able to, I think it, I, I oh, man, I just saw a post about this like, a couple of weeks ago and I cannot remember who uh but it was basically like editing is not the same as writing and editing is its own separate skill and that is so true uh so like it's not even necessarily that you're that I'm not much of a better writer than I was six years ago it's I'm a much better editor and you when you start to be able to pick apart stories like like for example like I was writing I think I wrote my first Scabior fic, man, like 2016, something like that. And Mm -hmm. he was calling Hermione like a nickname. And I don't think I put much more thought into it than that. (laughs) Like it was just, you know, yeah, he's, he's the type of guy who uses nicknames. And, you know, four years later, it's like, okay, wait, I'm going to think about why I did that. And I'm going to, you know, connect that to how I write the rest of him. And I think it's a lot more resonant you know emotionally so it's just stuff like that you learn to think about or learn to explore i think 
is it um i don't know if there's a great way to answer this question but i was thinking about that like at editing because i'm just kind of starting mm-hmm. to do that myself like actually take that process mm-hmm. seriously and mm-hmm. how much of that do you think is as far as improving writing and editing and all like one of the things I'm learning is like how many little decisions you have to make. Mm-hmm. And is that like you think a lot of that is self-taught and instinct or um, do you try and strategically learn from like books or an editor or do you think a lot of that can be sort of you're developing your ability to like calibrate your own compass kind of? I think reading, uh, yeah, reading, not just not just fan fiction, but, you know, books. <laughs> yeah. Dude, that's – I'll let you keep going, but like it's funny how many of us, especially as writers, I think a lot of us get really um, self-involved mm-hmm. and self-centered, and all we we're so used to seeing our own words. Oh, yeah. um, and also, fanfic enthusiasts, we like get so into fanfiction like yeah. this, and we forget to actually read. Like there is a reason why stuff's on the shelf versus yeah, exactly, yeah. Also, but not even just that. Like there's some TV shows, like particularly good TV shows or movies, you can get so much just from seeing how different stories are structured. And like not everything is beginning, middle and end. Sometimes it's more about the beginning than it is the end or it's, you know, you're building to something and you already know what it is or it's just just consuming media that's, you know, different and good. I think it can really help to broaden, you know, those those horizons when you're looking at your own stuff. Yeah, I'm in the I'm kind of in the middle of that now and like uh yeah, it's in fan fiction is um yeah, we can talk about that like how much do you think playing around in fan fiction prepared you to be able to structure a plot like build an actual structure and uh better, you know, more original characterizations and all and all that stuff? So I prefer short fiction. I write a lot of short fiction in general. I just enjoy it. I enjoy like that sort of bite-sized snapshot style of storytelling a lot, which doesn't translate well to writing novels. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So it takes me a lot longer to write a novel than I think – a lot of people would expect just because it's such a different, it's a different discipline. I was actually one of my editors for uh, a piece of flash that I think it's coming. I think it's going to go up like in a few weeks. He was talking to me about the difference, you know, between long form and short form and how it's basically, it's like two separate spheres of writing. Like it's, the overlap is not nearly as large as people would expect. So, like, I wrote Nightmare in 2012 or 2013. It was, like, the first really long, I hate Nightmare. Please don't read it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember I actually so much. Yeah. You had some Tumblr asks that, people, and somebody was like, what's your most overrated? And I think Nightmare was one of them. <laughs> it's, like, it's... I mean, first of all, I wrote it from the first person because at that point I was reading tons of YA and first person is a big YA staple. And yeah, so weird. I can't, I can't, it's really funny now because I can't actually even, <laughs> like I'm more likely to switch to second person than yeah. go back to first person. <laughs> yeah. 
but that was the very first thing, like really long thing that I'd ever written that had a very um, detailed outline. And it taught me a lot about what I needed and didn't need from an outline personally, because that, yeah. you know, that varies from, from, from writer to writer. But it taught me a lot about like the ebbs and flows of a long story. Like the pacing is so important. And yeah. I mean, there were complications with use. There's complications with using a fan fiction as a uh, as an example for this because it was posted serially. You know, like I wasn't, I didn't write the whole thing and then edit it and then post it chapter by chapter. I literally was posting it as I wrote it. So yeah, I mean, obviously, even 2013 or 2014 me would have been capable of. <laughs> going back and probably changing some things but um that fic in particular is just such a shining beacon of what not to do (laughs) (laughs) yeah and you know it read like I had no idea what what I was doing (laughs) like it read like I had no idea what was going to happen next even though I did (laughs) it's it was just, it was just so messy. And every time I get, I get any kind of asks or commentary about how much they enjoyed it, I just feel so bad because I'm like, really? <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> but you probably needed to write, like, I've heard authors say, like, you need to write the shitty stuff to be able to write the good stuff. Nightmare, as much as I loathe it, was, like, very important, I think. It's funny, like, it's ironic, it's ironic <laughs> entitled now. Like, yeah. it's a total nightmare. Yeah, no, I just, Nightmare was as bad as, it, as bad as I think it was. You know, it was formative. You know, it, I learned that I definitely don't want to write in the first person. <laughs> that yeah. it takes a lot away. I learned that I don't particularly enjoy multi-point of view narratives, even though it worked for that for what it was but anyway it's just from a like story crafting perspective I probably would not I just would not approach that story the same way and when I wrote light as a feather I also had a detailed outline for that and it did not (laughs) turn out that way (laughs) was was light as a feather um is that your first like a uh, novel length project that you did? Uh, I wrote a no- a shorter YA novel in 2016 that Amazon's now defunct indie publisher published. Uh, it's probably still up there. I have no idea how it got professionally published. It was bad. <laughs> <laughs> like, and I'm not just saying like it was nightmare bad. It was. It was. Yeah. It was just bad, and. I- uh that that was the first original novel length thing I wrote and that was also formative in a lot of ways. Uh Light as a Feather was longer actually the first edited pass through. The ma- original manuscript was 128,000 words which in you know professional publishing in the YA landscape you're that's about 30 to 40,000 words over what they want. Mm. So, so they're looking at like 90 to 100k. 
it's more like 80 to okay. like 100K is usually the like hard cutoff. And yeah. I was, is that an economics thing or an yes, attend- they think the audience? Okay. It's usually the audience and, um, you know, it's expensive to print books. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, for first time authors who don't necessarily have a, they ha- they, who they don't necessarily have any idea of how they're going to sell. Um, it's right. just, it's not really worth the risk. And uh, I was actually shocked that, like, in hindsight, I'm shocked that I got as much interest as I did from agents on Light as a Feather because, you know, the word count was right there in the query. <laughs> yeah. So that that was definitely, that was an interesting experience. It did take one agent literally spelling it out for me, though. Like, this is just too long. I'm sorry. <laughs> and I was like... I cut it to 107 and it <laughs> it just didn't work. But Light as a Feather was – I actually enjoyed writing that a lot. Um, I like how it turned out, even if the out- – man, the outline was so much more involved. <laughs> yeah. So this is – just to, for people, this is an original work. You can find it on uh, Andrew's website, which I'll link in the show notes. Um, this is the first original work that I read from you, and I do want make a confession real fast, but I think it works for this podcast. Mm-hmm. So I I found this work, uh, I think, two years ago, and yeah. uh, I think I was between fandoms, and I started reading it, and then I got obsessed with Cobra Kai and was <laughs> writing mine, and I, and I didn't finish it. Yeah. And then, but, but your writing is always something I've been a fan of, so I knew when I started this podcast, uh, like, last year, mm-hmm. I was like, I have to talk to Provocative Envy, like, I have to talk to her. So, and then I was like, well, I need to reread Lies of Feather, but I didn't want to start too early because then I forget stuff. Yeah. Um, so I really just started rereading it a couple of days ago and I didn't end up finishing it. But that way I can't spoil anything. Yeah. But it was really nice to go back and reread. Yeah. And so this is original fiction. It is. I was going to comment. You seem to really like single person uh, point of view. It's like third person perspective. I always get that mm-hmm. mixed up. But it's mm-hmm. one character. Her name is Ainsley. Mm-hmm. She's um, – and I can just ask you like generally like – what is this about? But it's um, it's a high school female protagonist. She's from California, and I'm sure there's some like, of I don't know. Maybe I should ask you like, how much mm-hmm. of yourself as an Ainsley, or what did you originally want from your protagonist? But um, it does end up being a bit of a ghost story without saying too much. It takes place in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. The set, so the setting is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, maybe uh, yeah. Let's just talk about like. Um, so you had been published previously with that Amazon story. Um, yeah. but was this like a, a set, like a, yeah. Just tell me about this project, I guess. Uh, it was supposed to be a short story. <laughs> yeah. It was supposed to be a short story. Uh, originally it, Ainsley's father wasn't dead. He was remarrying and mm. they were moving to Kentucky. So I grew up in Southern California. I didn't grow up in LA, which is where Ainsley is from. I grew up in Orange County, which was about an hour south. But I spent a lot of time. Uh, my my high school boyfriend was a LA prep school, uh, mm. <laughs> and so I am very familiar with that type of person. Ainsley is kind of a she is a little, I'm trying to think of a word that isn't, um, 
it doesn't have like negative connotations. She's definitely she's she's a little sharp. I think is probably a uh, hedgehog. Yeah, yeah, she's a little prickly. Um, Prickly. But she's got a lot going on in this. And to me, one of the first things I noticed, just to give you some insight on, um, I have, you know, I'm like a real, to be honest, like I've had like a pretty easy life. Like I'm not rich, but I'm like, I haven't had a ton of adversity. So I'm an, like, I'm an optimist. Mm -hmm. I'm a people person. Mm -hmm. I'm like nice. And so Ainsley. (laughs) So Ainsley is like, there's a lot going on with her. Uh-huh. She's a California kid, private school kid. Yeah. Her dad's just died. Mm. And so she's got a lot of walls up and she's pretty – so she – yeah, she comes from California. She's moving to Kentucky because her mother, who left when she was, I think, uh, eight-ish? Uh, she was five. Or six Oh, wait, okay. maybe she was maybe she was six. She's either five or six. I changed yeah, it a couple of I, times. So. You you do you can't figure it out if you if you read it. I think it maybe was six, but yeah. um, so she doesn't want to be in Kentucky, and so she has a pretty like cynical, ungenerous, She's very cynical. Yeah, yeah, of That's, the people around her in Kentucky and her new step family. Yeah. But um, despite that, I I uh, I really liked reading her. Um, so it didn't because sometimes really negative characters t- like turn me off, and I'm like, yeah, oh. <laughs> that was definitely a concern when I was. I remember when I was editing that, I was like, is she too? <sighs> I mean, I, I just my thing with her was I wanted her to be pretty unapologetic about yes. how angry she was. I think there's a real dearth of, you know, truly angry YA female protagonists. You know, there's – and that's not to say that there aren't any, but she she had a lot to be angry about, I think. And actually, the first draft of that, she was – I toned her down a little <laughs> She was worse in the in the first draft. <laughs> she was she was a lot meaner to Nate. She was a lot <laughs> like somehow I know I know it was worse. <laughs> and because like as like a midwest like I'm from Kansas I'm uh-huh. a midwestern kid yeah. so I kind of immediately like lodged onto Nate as somebody <laughs> I would like. So I was a little personally defensive of him. I was like, why is she being so mean? But uh, despite that, <laughs> she kept me wanting to read. But it's definitely it's funny that. It's hard to imagine that she's was even she harsher. Was worse. Yeah, she was worse. It was and I actually the thing is I know that it was probably really it would have made her really unlikable from the from the get go because when I was editing it I was like, Man, what happened? <laughs> like, are you okay? <laughs> I like though that the in that, that personality trait too, I I'm reading into that there's something about that that does one make her more capable to be able to kind of solve this like ghost story mystery. Um, but also like there's a sense that maybe she's inherited this from her father. There's some, yeah, there's definitely some hints about what he was like and how that worked. And she does have kind of a, Oh man, maybe he, maybe he wasn't pining this whole time, you know, for her mom. Like maybe it was more complicated than that. And, uh, yeah, Ainsley, yeah, she she was definitely, I knew, you know, after I wrote the book that she was going to be one of those characters that people probably had some 
mixed feelings on, especially because she was so overtly antagonistic to, you know, Nate. <laughs> yeah. The golden retriever. <laughs> he is such a golden retriever. Yeah. But yeah, again, it's like it makes her a cape because um, so, yeah, not. I'm just trying to think of how much to say and how much not to say. And I haven't finished it, so I'm not going to spoil it. But there is a ghost. Can we say that there's a ghost character that yeah. – Killian, mm-hmm. um, who's a great character. Like, for a ghost, he has a he's a lot of humanity. Um, I'm just curious. I'm going to pull out my iPad here and see what chapter I'm on, just so you know. I'm on chapter 16, Old Country, uh-huh. which is um, – Oh, Mason yeah, is the other char- uh, male character, and uh, he becomes friends with Ainsley, and he kind of helps Ainsley start to solve this sort of yeah. ghost story. But his um, Russian mother, Oksana, from <laughs> kind of the old world, she has this occult shop, so that's where they're at now. So I actually wrote a prequel about Oksana. It's pretty short. It's only like 8,000 words, but it takes place in Russia in the 90s. And I haven't released that yet, but I did write that. <laughs> I wrote that. I wrote most of that like right after I released Light as a Feather and then the pandemic happened and it was like, then I just brushed that aside. <laughs> anyway, I finished it yeah. up. I finished it up like a couple of weeks ago. So this is kind of fresh for me. Uh, Mason was also very different <laughs> from that yeah. outline and then draft one. And then draft whatever the final draft ended up being. Um, he, so he was kind of, he was a lot sketchier in the beginning, in the original drafts. And then when I was going through it again, I was kind of like, no, you know what? Ainsley needs like a friend, man. <laughs> like, yeah. Like she's not going to go to therapy. So she needs a friend. <laughs> <laughs> Like, it just felt like I was being so mean to her. So, uh, yeah, he is very patient, obviously. (laughs) You know, he, there's that party scene where I think he maybe starts to kind of understand, like, she's not really that, she's not really that mean. She's not really that unpleasant. Yeah. And, you know. I was I was kind of a prickly teenager, which not not to that extent, obviously, and I I didn't you know go through any of that. <laughs> yeah, but I I think there is, especially at that age, there's this sort of sense that like you know who you want people to think you are is not necessarily who you are. And with Ainsley, I mean, she is like I said, she's pretty unapologetic about it, but I do think she is a lot more sensitive than she outwardly indicates at times. Yeah. So yeah, Mason was important. I mean, he was important for the plot because (laughs) yeah, (laughs) imagine, you know, there's just like this ghost in my barn. (laughs) Am I okay? Yeah. yeah i thought it was like a pretty smart way to and it didn't feel like um shoehorned in there to me like mm-hmm. having this character mason who interestingly to me that so ainsley's our protagonist and then you sort of have the two boys who are kind of um probably the next two characters that like she yeah. interacts with the most but they yeah. also but on their service and at first glance and Ain- ainsley's first glance is like both of them is like pretty ungenerous <laughs> Uh, they're they're yeah. super cliche. You have like the 
the jock yeah. and the goth. So Nate is her stepbrother. Mm-hmm. He's like this jock. He wears a leather jacket. He <laughs> drives a truck. Yeah. He's like, yeah, and no. he's so sweet. But um, but yeah, and then Mason is this kind of goth kid. And there's this great um crap. I probably didn't write down the page, but there's this great description of when she meets Mason, and she says something like um. In California, they would have kicked him out of the Hot Topic store, like, because he's such, like, a, she thinks it's so performative and cliche, yeah. like, he's dressed in black and has piercings. But then she grows from that and realizes that it's actually not, this is just Mason. Like, yeah, she she's really, ungenerous is a good word for her. She's really, she does not give people the benefit of the doubt ever. Yeah. Like, and it's, that's a character trait that I think is sort of, I mean, I think for a lot of people that's maybe hard to relate to, which, cause you want people to, you know, be their best selves, but she's just really convinced that they're not. And yeah, Mason and Nate, <laughs> you, if you're on 16, there's a lot more Mason and a lot more Nate past that. Um <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yay. Yeah, I'm excited about that then. Yeah, I don't think you've gotten to the – I mean, this is not really a spoiler, but yeah. there's a – they break into the historical society together. There's a lot of group <laughs> – group outings. Um, <laughs> Nate and Mason ended up having kind of like a friendship toward by the end of the book that I, I didn't anticipate at all, but – I liked them. Yeah. Um, not to interrupt your train of thought, but um, in your experience, I mean, obviously you said editing is a huge thing, um, mm-hmm. but there is some part, you know, there's some prior planning when yeah. it comes to writing that you do, but how much of it do you think is um, exploratory? Like that you, you sort of plan on something, but as you're writing the scene, it's sort of evolves a little bit differently and then by the end of it maybe it's totally different than you planned so i what i usually do with long novels um i actually just finished another novel that this happened quite a few times what i do is i usually break it down like five or six chapters at a time and i'll do more extensive outlining for those chapters and then like my my process is probably not <laughs> what other people would would like to do or relate to because it involves so many steps. Um, Yeah. Like I do a basic outline and then I do a specific outline and then I do a quick write and then I do an edit of the quick write and then I do another edit. (laughs) I just, I do, I do a lot to wrap my head around what I'm trying to get at. And yeah. So in that sense, I would say that, most of the like first draft writing I do is exploratory. Um, with novels, it gets way less exploratory as it goes on. Um, like I, I write a lot faster and I write a lot more when I'm, you know, once I hit like the midpoint of a long project, it's, it starts going a lot faster. Cause by yeah. that point, you know, the voice is pretty ingrained and you have, you know, you've, you've laid out most of the, the plot threads. So you now just have to kind of put it all together. And that's the easiest part for me usually. But, um, with the novel I just finished, which is called Splintered, 
that was a unique writing experience because I changed my mind. Uh, I've never done that before with anything. I changed my mind about 10 chapters in about what it was going to be about, (laughs) which meant that for a little bit, a little bit, I was sort of writing blind, which I haven't done ever. And it, it was messy. There's still, there's still some stuff that probably should be cleaned up from it. Like plot wise. Yeah. Light as a feather. Uh, that didn't happen too many times. But it is really obvious. Like you can sort of feel it happening when something is just not working or you're getting way off track. Uh, yeah. For me, it happens usually with dialogue because I, <laughs> I love writing dialogue and it's, <laughs> it's really easy for conversations to sort of veer off in directions that don't you know, add anything. Yeah. Or go too long. Mm-hmm. I've recently struggled with like, why are they still talking? Like I should just, <laughs> it's like, exactly. It's, it's like, okay, well it's awkward to just end the conversation here, but it's equally <laughs> awkward to just have them continue talking. about <laughs> what. I, uh, I have a bad habit of instead of just organically figuring out ways to end dialogue, I will have them be interrupted. <laughs> I like whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like it's it's a really it's a bad habit. Like it's okay every once in a while, I guess, but uh, I noticed in in Splintered it kept happening. Like everybody yeah. was interrupting like everything and it was just like so how often would that realistically happen? <laughs> Do you feel like with um like structure wise and a lot to be honest a lot of this interview I'm just like picking your brain Uh because I'm like oh like you're a more experienced writer than I am but I'm and I'm kind of in the middle of growing as a writer Mm -hmm. um structure wise for like chapters or even Mm -hmm. like scenes do you find that you have kind of initial instinctual feel about because you have uh chapters but within this chapters you have little sections Mm -hmm. or scenes Mm -hmm. do you get overly uh strategic about when things start and end or um, I don't know. I feel like I'm a little bit – honestly, also, um, I'm drinking – I wanted to do um, a Sunny Delight screwdriver. In order, so the, the scene in Light as a Feather that um, Ainsley uh, goes to this Kentucky kind of country kid, probably in her view like a bit of a white trash party. Oh, yeah, uh, I was careful to not use that phrase. <laughs> yes. She does it. Um, Ainsley is commenting that like – the kids at this party think that a sunny delight in vodka is a screwdriver, which is not correct. Yeah. <laughs> it's not orange juice. But I didn't have sunny D, so I have a screwdriver um, <laughs> with me. So I'm probably a little bit, honestly, a little bit tipsy right now. Um, fuck, where was I going? Oh, but my question was about like uh, structure and how you develop those instincts. So where to where to end a chapter or a section or how that's going to sort of – I guess that all rolls into pacing as well. Yeah. Uh Pacing with, you know, long, long stuff, uh, that's sort of a I, – I don't know that I would pace well if I was, you know, writing a fic and uploading it chapter by chapter and I intended for it to be really long. I think you'd maybe have to get a little lucky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but for me, with novels – what I know I said earlier that not every story can be 
should or can be broken down into, you know, like a beginning, a middle, and an end. But that is how I start my outlines. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because just having that scope of, like, because it's not necessarily about what happens to make it a beginning, a middle, or an end. It's mostly, like, there's, you know, there's peaks and there's valleys in narratives. And keeping in mind, you know, like... Like having a goal, like, okay, this is going to be, you know, 25 chapters, 30 chapters, something like that. You can sort of get an idea of, you know, is this a breathing room scene? Is this like an exploratory, like, plot chapter? Or is this character work? Or is this action? You know, like, you don't necessarily, you probably don't need two chapters in a row of breathing room. Like, yeah, that could be a little pointless, a little boring. So I would say for outlining or pre-writing, having an idea of that when you're writing something long, like even if it's not, you know, this specifically happens in the middle or this specifically is how it ends. It's just, you know, write like you're going somewhere. I think that's the best, that's the best way to phrase that. Like, I like that. mm -hmm. Like when you're writing a chapter, the best way to end a scene is to get where you're going. So that's probably what I would say I learned most. Although I do still, like, yeah, it always happens with dialogue. It's just like, it just veers away from where I want it to go. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're so excited to be in this, like, in the in the pocket, in the zone, you can hear them. <laughs> it's like, I'm just, just hanging out, transcribing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what it feels like when you're really in that pocket of like you can hear their voices. You're like, I'm just writing down what they're saying, and then you're like, it's five pages later, and they're <laughs> still talking. Yeah, that's exactly what it's like. Yeah, you don't necessarily, you know, you don't need five pages of of banter. <laughs> yeah, and that's all. A lot of that is like dilemmas when you're doing a longer, uh, a larger scale project or a novel. Um, and like you said, sometimes that's a totally different, uh, like your editor said, like a process than yeah, like a short story. Do you think, though, that between – because I, I find I think that I'm enjoying – even though I'm only on my second sort of larger project, it's definitely like I'm probably in like your nightmare phase or maybe the <laughs> one right after that where I'm definitely learning as I go and I can tell it's like this amateur pursuit, but I'm getting better. But um, do you think that there's things that – Writing a novel teaches you about doing a really tight, shorter, um, smaller scale story and vice versa. Because the other thing, on the other hand, I'm kind of like, man, like I really want to do that 5,000 word perfect um, story. That And it, that's maybe more common in fan fiction with the better writers where it's um, – you know, you can easily publish for free that that short form, just tight writing. Mm-hmm. So short fiction is a lot more in, well, for me, it's a lot more detail focused, detail oriented. Um, you know, the shorter something is, the less room there is to hide mistakes, the less space mm. there is to, you know, like, like veer off course, you know, like you have to, it has to be every word matters more, which yes. I like that because that's how I like to edit. Um, <laughs> like that's, that's typically I like to write in the present tense and I like to write really character driven voices. So short fiction is appealing to me because I like to, I like hyper-focusing 
on the details. Um, as far as like outlining goes, I, I don't, I don't outline or plan very much with shorter things. I usually let an idea or a concept or a thought like I have, like I'll let it kind of marinate for a while. Like I'll think about it. This is why I don't like prompt writing and I don't like, <laughs> I don't like those, um, like those writing sprints people do where they like yeah. pick a word and then like write for 15 minutes. Like that just does not work for me. <laughs> I like I could uh, probably, you know, but it's just it's not what I enjoy about writing, so I don't do that. Um with like short form, like those 5,000 word kind of one shots, it's what usually happens is it's like I'll have, you know, this concept, this character concept or this dynamic that I want to kind of not necessarily explore, but maybe sort of take a picture of, you know, like a little, yeah. that's the thing about really short fiction. It's not necessarily about, you know, what happens in the story. It's, it's so much about these smaller things and with fan fiction, it's usually romantic. So it's, you know, it's True. typically character dynamics, but with original fiction, it, I actually, I just wrote a short story, The Mating Rituals of Sea Monsters. And on its surface, it was sort of about, you know, these the sea monster and then this other character. It was about that dynamic, but it was mostly about, you know, how this sea monster fit or their idea of how they fit into, you know, this other world and how that connected to their world. And it's with something like fan fiction, I'm not sure. Like I've written some stuff that was less, you know, character dynamic focused and it was more individual character focused. And it, I mean, typically that's not what people read fan fiction for, <laughs> you know, they're there. So it's, I probably won't, won't do stuff like that anymore, but the, the shorter stuff is like, I, I'll start with usually the first line, like, and sort of write a little bit and get a feel for how that's, how that voice sounds and how it, um, how they might want to tell a story, like how, what the sorts of things they notice or, yeah, the details they, they pick up on. Cause every, every character is different, you know, like, yeah, there's, like Scabior, for example, he he had a tendency at Over Under to almost exclusively notice the things that made people different from him. You know, he very rarely connected mm. with he very rarely connected with details that made him feel like he was part of the scene or part of what was going on. Yeah. There was a very self you know self directed othering happening. Yes, that's a perfect way to put it. And so, like, with short fiction, those types of things are are going to stand out, I think, more than they do in novels. Novels are, I mean, it's, you probably could write, I'm sure people have written novels where, like, plot wasn't, the, like, important, but I just, I don't know. That's, 
that's a that's a thing for future me to maybe try. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is interesting like what are the like the goal or the end product of a novel is is so different than mm-hmm. a short piece like like you said you can be it it is more forgiving in some ways on a smaller scale, but it is really like you really have all these threads and these pieces in the air that you're sort of juggling and then you have to pull them back together by the end to sort of yeah. create this feeling of like resolution or satisfaction. And so that's a different challenge, but it is different and it's easier and more difficult in some ways than a short It really, yeah. Probably. Like, like I'm sure like there's people, there's writers who probably struggle with like a, with short fiction, for example, like super short fiction. I love Flash, for example. Yeah. Like I don't find it particular. It's not necessarily like, challenging but it is like a really you know engaging creative exercise you know like can I tell a story in 300 words and it's you know I enjoy that other people probably find that like nightmarish (laughs) other people are probably (laughs) like you know like there's probably writers who who don't like that and I find novels um it's just so much different because at the end of a novel you know you should, in theory, be able to look at it as a whole piece and, you know, conceptualize what it was about, you know, like what was the point of the story here. But with novels, you know, sometimes that can be, there's like, there's room for multiple answers to that question. And that's, I think that can be intimidating, you know, as a writer, like, especially when you know with shorter pieces it's it's more of a meandering kind of exploratory story and then you get to a novel and it's like you know you're like well the themes are (laughs) (laughs) like I, I don't know I I have a tendency to overthink when I have time and room to so writing novels is (laughs) <laughs> it almost enables you to yeah, do this. It, it's literally, it's like, <laughs> there's just a lot that can distract you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause you probably have to kind of distill all these ideas you have down to like, I've, and I've just, again, I've started for the first time really trying to think about this in a strategic way, like A plot, mm-hmm. B plot, yeah. C plot. What is your midpoint? You know, yeah. all those things. So you probably have to, I guess, in editing, decide what to cut and where what makes that journey a little more clear and strategic yeah what did what did ultimately help me like I it took me a year and a half to write light as a feather and it took me like nine months to write splintered and what did help me like cut that time in half (laughs) um, sort of was I stopped uh I stopped trying to use the same editing process that I would use for a short, a shorter piece. Like, it's just, it doesn't work. Um, like, you know, in a novel, each and every word, like you'd like for each and every word to matter and like have weight and be significant. But like when it, when it comes down to it, they're just not, Yeah. <laughs> you know, <you're, laughs> yeah. there's too much else going on for it to be let to, for it to work like that. Yeah. So, you know, that was a really freeing realization. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. But outlining and planning and editing, they're very different for 
different lengths and types of work depending on what you're trying to do. Okay, uh, go listen to part two. Uh, I'll see you over there. Thanks, guys. Bye.